Shut the fuck up. Sorry ass motherfucker. Stay away from me. State of the union. Shut the fuck up. Sorry ass motherfucker. Stay away from me. State of the union. Shut the fuck up. Sorry ass motherfucker. Stay away from me. State of the union. Shut the fuck up. Sorry ass motherfucker. Stay away from me. Hello, this is Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update. I am recording this on October 2nd, 2020. It's a Friday. And I actually just spoke to Jared Yates Sexton, return guest and uh, friend of the show. He has a new book out called American Rule. What is the subtitle of American Rule? How a Nation Conquered the World But Failed Its People. It's an important book, and it's a good book. I've had a chance to read it. It's really about how we can't get where we need to go unless we know where we've been. And uh, I'm sure he could put it much more eloquently than that, Jared being a uh, creative writing professor. But um, that's what I see. Anyways, that's what I got out of it. And, you know, it's me, so by the time I get, we get through it, you know, we're talking about satanic panic and cults and QAnon and all kinds of good stuff. So this has been a weird day, a weird week, a weird year. And American life is weird, and it's only fitting that this uh, conversation should go into some weird places. So without further ado, here is Jared Yates Sexton. Whatever it takes, rent this dictator, POTUS my tail, ask the beta, prime time primo, rhyme time crime, like no other in this lifetime, White House killer, dead in lifelines, broke this joke out, or die trying, unprecedented, demented, many presidented, Nazi Gestapo, dictator defendant, it's not what you think, it's what you follow, run for them jewels, drink from that bottle, another four years, gonna gut your hollow, gun it out, dried up, broke I'm Jared Yates Sexton. I am a professor of writing and linguistics. Uh, I'm a political analyst and the author of American Rule, How Nation Conquered the World But Failed Its People, which is a retelling and re-examination of American history um, and an open assault on the idea of American exceptionalism which I discovered in writing the book was uh, weaponized propaganda that has hidden a lot of the um, mistreatment by the American government and uh, the the way in which people have been controlled by the story of America, which isn't uh, true at all. Yeah, you know, the one thing I was thinking, I've been having this discussion with a lot of people lately, some who are probably qualified to have the discussion and others like me just kind of talking out our ass a little bit but you know i've been seeing so much like is the trump base a cult or is um you know is QAnon a cult um and i think or you know even saying is trump mentally ill you know it's like i think it's really dangerous to kind of like frame the problems and the things that we're experiencing now as somehow aberrations or like overstate how peculiar and strange they are because this is like the natural progression of of what's been happening for the last you know 200 years or whatever i i always make it a point whenever i do something like this to um say that donald trump is a symptom he's not the disease um you know and and one of the things that really kind of drove me nuts was when I was talking to people about Donald Trump, a lot of people would say to me things like, uh, you know, the founding fathers must be rolling over in their graves, you know, or that something had gone wrong in America to lead to this point. And what I ended up discovering in my research was that the founding fathers were only concerned with creating a system of control that prioritized wealthy white men. First and foremost, uh, if they got told that a supposed billionaire was the president of the United States, they would have believed that he was a like high quality person who should be like respected and, uh, you know, could lead the country in in a talented way. But on top of that, it's it's unfortunate that America has lived within this mythology, this really, really fake alternate reality. Um, It's a religious nationalistic myth. And the end result of that, 
the the longer we went with it and the more that we were stuck inside of it, we were eventually going to arrive at like a late term moment. And we've arrived at a late term moment. And what's happening in this country specifically is that America is faltering. And as a nation that has myths of exceptionalism and, you know, nationalist um, specialization, when those happen and they start to fall apart, fascism comes up from the cracks. It starts feeding on the diseased tissue of the exceptional myth. Yeah. And, you know, um, like I've been reading, uh, I'm going to, Nicholas, oh, what was his name? Um, Goodrich Clark, the, uh, he, what he wrote, the, he wrote about like the influences of, of the occult or mysticism on the third Reich. And, um, I don't know why the name of the book's escaping me, but, um, even that, like, it's important to acknowledge that, like, that wasn't some aberrant thing. It wasn't like, you know, some some malevolent force came out of nowhere and, like, created these monsters out of men. Like, that was part of the time and the culture. The Volkisch movement was as much, every bit as much of the culture in Germany in, you know, turn of the century as, you know, nationalist Christianity is now. Yeah. And, you know, that, you know, whenever you start talking about the Third Reich, like some people just sort of like their eyes roll and they're done. You know what I mean? But but what I actually discovered is there is a um, a really disturbing link between the United States of America and the rise of the Third Reich. In fact, ideologically and philosophically, we're linked directly to them. So this Volkish movement or the idea that Germany is a chosen country and the power comes from like the people embodied, that there's something inherent, inherently special about them. Uh, that, that sort of came about at the same time that the myth of a manifest destiny happened within America. And, you know, of course, this is in the 19th century when you start seeing like the expansion of the United States and you start having what's called the romantic period, whereas, you know, as like the world is sort of growing and changing, they they start romanticizing things like ethnic tribes who settled Europe. Right. There's a lot of talk about like Anglo-Saxons. Right. And then in Germany, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the, the, the Germans who settled that area. And so they actually go through the the United States and Germany go through the exact same movements at the exact same time. And in fact, this is one of the reasons why we carried out the genocide against the Native Americans. Right. It's the exact same mindset. It's the, the, the living space, if you will. Right. That took place in Germany. Well, so eventually what ends up happening is that in the, in the early 20th century, there are tons of Americans who are obsessed with eugenics, who are obsessed with open white supremacy. You have a couple of these guys, uh, uh, Lothrop Stoddard and Madison Grant. They write books like The Passing of the Great Race or The, the Rising Tide of Color Against White Supremacy. They're bestsellers here, but they're also bestsellers in Germany. They're, they're coming in and they're also giving like, uh, they're advising Congress on immigration. They're dealing with eugenics. Our eugenicists are going over to Germany, helping them set up, you know, their eugenics situation. And in fact, this is the thing. We've been told the story that, of course, we fought Germany in World War II and we were the champions and we beat them and, you know, erased fascism or whatever. We had a fascistic movement in this country. Like, Nazism was really popular in America, and open fascism was very popular in America. And, you know, Hitler was actually, like, calling on America to join him in a crusade for white supremacy. And Charles Lindbergh, who, you know, now has been maligned as, like, the leader of the American First Movement, uh, was calling for us to join in a white union with Germany and Italy and France and England. So one of the sad truths is, this stuff is not fascism and Nazism, all that. It's not an aberration that happened in the 20th century in Western Europe. It's part of the human experience, and America is especially susceptible to it because of our philosophy and our history and our mythology. Yeah, and and if you look at, like, if you go back to the Volkisch movement in Germany, um, it served a real purpose of uniting, which up until that point wasn't even a country, you know, bringing the people together in this new German state. Um, and I think Manifest Destiny served a lot of the same role as far as, like, America was just starting to conceive of itself as a player on the world stage, you know, like, being the the superpower or a superpower was, you know, still far off. 
but um but yeah and even like i don't even know what you would call it like the trump base now like seems to be playing the same role like in a in a much different world though like Amer- it's not america ascendant it's america falling apart and you know people trying to hold on to these myths that they value well i mean the this is a thing that i don't think a lot of people like to talk about america's a failing nation i mean it, it, like like today we're, we're we're talking on october 2nd by the way i mean the president of the united states was diagnosed i don't know like 16 hours ago with coronavirus right and you know spread it to basically the entirety of the government everybody he's ever met now has coronavirus we have this pandemic that is raged. On top of that, I mean, there's parts of this country where the infrastructure is falling apart. People don't have clean drinking water. We are the only industrialized nation that doesn't have some form of, like, universal health care. You know, it, it, if, 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 like, a hurricane comes to your town and wipes your town off the map, no one's there to help you. Like, the, the, the function of state is gone. And, and the big reason why is because over the last few decades, it's been a giant redistribution of wealth project. It's been all about taking our tax money and our wealth and our so-called treasure and then putting it towards American hegemony and going out and, and conquering and you know subduing possible threats or whatever. We've done that and we've reached the point where late stage capitalism and hyper capitalism have bought and sold our government. And so we do not have a government that serves the interest of people anymore. Well, if you have a legend or a myth that says that America was chosen by God as like God's champion on the face of the earth. Well, if God's on your side, how could you ever lose? How could you ever start failing? And what you end up finding throughout history is when countries that have these nationalistic mythologies, when they start failing, you have to explain why. And fascism sweeps in and fascism says you've been betrayed. And there are traitors in our midst, and we need to take care of them through any means possible. And so here, here are the ways we're going to do it. Give us all the power. Get rid of the laws. Get rid of all the safeguards. Give us the power. We'll take care of the threat. And unfortunately, that's what we're seeing with Trumpism. Yeah, and you know, I was I was talking to a relative. I won't I won't out out him um, just in case he ever learns what a podcast is. But um, you know, he was telling me why he was voting for Trump, and he wasn't happy about it. He's like, "But you know, that's these are my options, and I got to go with my guy." And um, you know, I just came out of that. I didn't even try to talk him out of it or anything. I I just came out of that conversation thinking, imagine going to work every day of your life, coming home, watching like the evening news on on your local station, reading the newspaper in the morning being told how the world is and then waking up one day, you know, you're 70 years old and everything's falling apart. <laughs> like you'd be, you'd be a mess too. And I think that kind of is your book, the pro, you know, the point of your book is to kind of enlighten people a little bit. Cause this stuff isn't coming from out of nowhere. Well, you know, the last time you and I talked, we talked a lot about conspiracy theories and conspiracy theory cults. And a, a big reason that you have those, and especially why they have taken you know such precedence lately, is because the, the people that we're talking about, a lot of them have no understanding of, of what has happened. And it's because they've been lost in this weaponized mythology. I mean, I didn't know this stuff until I started writing the book. I, I have to tell you, man, like... I just thought I would go through and find a little bit more understanding. And it was like in the first chapter. I don't know if you know this. The founding fathers who wrote the Constitution actually didn't have authority to write the Constitution. Like, they, 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 they weren't there to write a new Constitution. They were there to revise the Articles of Confederation. And they got there, and James Madison's like, I don't know, let's do it. And then all of a sudden they just did it. Like, I had no clue. So it was like from the very beginning, it really messed with my head. And I realized very quickly that our real history looked absolutely nothing like what we had been told. Well, if you've been living in that, and, um, you know, if, if your listeners are familiar with the um, the uh, the metaphor of the cave, Plato's cave, which is that we're all stuck in this cave, right? And and reality, we, we know one reality, but there's a reality outside of it. When you don't know that there's another reality to look for, 
you're like, what the hell? Why, why did? Why is everything that's always worked? Why is it falling apart? This America that I know in the books, in the movies, on the TV, in politician speeches. Well, if we're so great and there's something about us that's special, why is my family suffering? Why is my town decrepit? Why is my country failing over and over and over again? And that leaves a giant, giant room for someone to fill that vacuum. It leaves a place for someone to come in and give you an explanation and scapegoat somebody. And that's where the fascism comes in. So so what is your take on like the, uh, you know, the Trump base or like that culture? You know, it's like I don't even know what to call it anymore. I think, you know cult <laughs> sounds sounds well rhetorically even though cult experts i've spoken to say it's technically not a cult just because like some academics are going to say that trump isn't technically a fascist which i understand but he's a fascist <laughs> you know it's like when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply People are really, they're really focused on drawing a line between politics and religion, but politics and religion are inextricably interlinked. I mean, like one, the project I'm doing right now, I'm a, I've actually gone back to like ancient Rome. And what you find is the basis of Western civilization is the interconnection between politics and religion. That's how, that's how you talk about politics. And, and everyone's like, well, religion's one thing, politics, no, they're the exact same. Like they're just different ways to explain and make decisions. And in this case, what you see is that effective politicians actually create cults of personality around them, right? I mean, and, and, and like, just to be fair, Barack Obama created a cult of personality around him, but he didn't need it, right? He did it to win an election. And once he won an election, he was like, well, we don't need that anymore. Donald Trump has created around him a religion. And that's one of the reasons you have like weird stuff like QAnon. It's a literal religion that worships him and makes him infallible. And that's why it's so kooky when you're not inside of it. I actually truly believe it is a cult. I, I, I think that I think that politics and religion are 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 linked like that. I think what we're seeing right now, particularly with uh, Trumpism and with fascism, I think they're cults. Yeah, you know, and I went through this a lot. I just finished a book um about a cult, a destructive cult. And, um, you know, and I kind of struggled with that a lot because you hear a lot of, uh, you know, like some people I really respect, you know, like this one woman in particular, uh, she's a uh, sociologist and she's an expert on religions and she's very adamant that cult isn't a useful word. You know, you're supposed to refer to them as new religious movements and trying to kind of get into that mode of like, all right, describing it as a new religious movement and trying to figure out like how to, I tried to figure out how to describe this thing uh, constructively without using the word cult. And I just came to the conclusion, you know, <laughs> if it quacks like a duck, it, it was just like, you know, it's a cult. Well, I think I, okay. So uh, first of all, I'm, I'm an academic and I have to tell you, how tired I am of all of this parsing out that academics do, because w one of the problems is, like academics have been siloed off and attacked and vilified for so long, right? And so they have to be incredibly careful when they deal with this stuff. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but we have a situation where we have a person who has co-opted a religion, which is what happens in a cult. And by the way, like I was writing about this in American Rule, you actually see like with like Nazism, they took over Christianity first. Like the Italian fascist movement worked with the Catholic Church. Like you, you, what happens is the fascistic group is a power base that works with a religion, which, by the way, is looking for power. They come together, they combine, and then eventually what ends up happening is, so in, in Nazi Germany, it was positive Christianity. And positive Christianity was this absolute wacko group that believed that the first anti-Semite was Christ and that to be anti-Semitic made you more like Christ-like. So you actually see this thing where like Goebbels and the Nazis and all of these Nazi preachers, they're calling 
Adolf Hitler, the new revelator, right? Like he has the new revelation. And then eventually they're like, oh, don't worry about your, your Bibles anymore. All you need is Hitler. Well, guess what? It's when those groups, those religious groups, start looking for power, they start finding these strong men, and they think they're divine agents, right? Like, Donald Trump is like a faulty messiah, so to speak. And so they start latching on to them, and all of a sudden, they become, quote-unquote, Christ-like. They start becoming infallible. And so what ends up happening, exactly like a cult, is you start following these people, and you start laundering what they do. You start looking at everything they do through a lens of godliness. And every mistake that they possibly make has to be in the aid of God, because suddenly they have that divine agent status. So that is exactly how a cult works. It just so happens that it's a political cult. But if you go within a religious cult, so to speak, and again, because politics and religion are interlinked, if you go within a religious cult, that's just about power and control, too. Right, right. And, you know, it just occurs to me as you're talking, one of the dynamics that I found really interesting when I was studying this cult, um, like the guru-disciple dynamic, it's like you think of the follower, the cult follower, the person that gets suckered in as having... You know, one of the control mechanisms is the cult leader controls what media they consume and controls what they see and think, and it puts them in a bubble, and that bubble differs from consensus reality, so they're more easily controlled. But one thing that gets overlooked is the cult leader is in his bubble, and he goes through the same process, and he ends up believing his bullshit, for lack of a better term, and becoming unmoored. I mean, that's how you get like a Koresh or a Jim Jones is... You know, it's like the same things that are, you know, at play with the follower becomes at play with the cult leader. And, you know, if we're going to talk about extreme demagogues like Hitler or Trump, I think there are some parallels between the two. Yeah, I would even take it like, OK, so I love that. I love this concept of the idea that is like this, um, this sort of like rapidly closing circle. Right. Like like it's just always shrinking around them. And and to go along with that, I, I would love to go ahead and talk a little bit about how we got to this point in the first place, because it's not like Trump appeared and suddenly here we were. The Republican Party has been playing this game for decades, because one of the things that ends up happen ends up happening, and I didn't realize this is you actually see in the 1980s, the Republican Party kind of thought they were done after Richard Nixon, right? And of course they get forward, but you know, after that, they're kind of like, I, I don't, I, we're in trouble, right? We don't really appeal to anyone. The demographics don't really work for us. And then they suddenly realize that with Carter, there's like this divide between Carter and like the evangelicals. So they, they seal like the most like perverted deal between the Republican Party and the evangelical right. And if you actually like sit there and look at what the evangelical right is, it's not just religion. That's the problem is, is I was talking to Jeff Charlotte about this the other day. Everyone's like, oh, they're just Christians. No, they're not Christians. They're Confederate Christians. They have a religion that was based in the Confederate States of America. The idea that God is a white supremacist who has chosen white people to just dominate everything, right? So they, that group makes a deal with Ronald Reagan, who, by the way, is there for tax cuts and, like, you know, redistribution of wealth from the bottom up. And it just goes and goes and goes for years. And, by the way, what was Reagan? Reagan actually wasn't religious. He was actually really, really occultish. He was super into like astrology and psychics and cults of power. Like one of his main uh, spiritual advisors was a guy named Manly P. Hall, who was obsessed with Atlantis and secret societies and all this bullshit. When I visited that cult um, that I wrote the book about, like the cult leader was talking about whatever, and then he got off topic and went on this jag about manly p hall oh they these people these people love him and by the way manly p hall it, this isn't just like some random kook like he was like a really popular kook like you know what i mean like in the in like the mid uh 20th century i mean this guy was selling books left and right he was giving sold out lectures all over california it's part of that new age california sort of idea and, and people like manly p hall are at the center of it well what ends up happening is that the Republican Party, because they go with Reagan, they start getting weird, man. I mean, there's a reason why we had the satanic panic in the 1980s, because Reagan was basically a mascot for religious nationalistic revivalism, right? He tells the country that America is perfect, 
need to apologize for anything. There's nothing America can't do. God is on our side. We're facing the evil empire. Well, guess what? When you start facing the evil empire and you're an agent of God, Satan's going to try and take you down. So instead of talking about crime and poverty and like inequality, we start talking about demons and possession and child sacrifice. Sounds familiar, right? So we end up getting at this point where the Republican Party throws in their lot with this. And then in the 1990s, the Democratic Party is like, well, if we can't beat Ronald Reagan's version of America, we're going to out Reagan Republicans. So like Bill Clinton and Al Fromm and the DLC, which, by the way, is still it, it's completely reconfigured American politics. Like the Democratic Party moved to the right and the Republican Party had a choice, which was fight them on the right. Or just go overboard, you know, go into like bananas territory. So all of a sudden you start seeing in the 1990s, the Republican Party and the NRA realize in order to keep hold of power, they have to start playing footsie with things like the New World Order conspiracy theory. They got to start flirting with the Patriot movement. They got to start telling people the Democrats and because, you know, the Soviet Union's out of the picture there, they have to start telling people the fascistic conspiracy theory that we have traitors in our midst. There's nothing wrong with America besides the liberal traitors. Well, I'm telling you, after decades upon decades of not just telling their, their supporters that, but then Fox News, which, by the way, is a 24-hour-a-day New World Order conspiracy theory machine, after years of telling people that, they end up believing it. And, and all of a sudden, it starts falling within itself. You get the Tea Party, and then you get Trumpism, all because they're lost in this fake narrative that these people lost control of because that circle got smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about the Satanic Panic and the Cold War a lot just because this one project I'm working on um, involves a former FBI agent named Ted Gunderson you might be familiar with. And he was like, basically, he was a... Uh, he rose through the ranks of the FBI, um, eventually being the special agent in charge of the Los Angeles office of the bureau, which is like a ma massive, important job. And then he left and just started like opened up a PI firm and started throwing himself into these cases that would always like basically any conspiracy theory of the eighties or nineties, he threw himself in the middle of somehow. And, you know, there's been a lot of, I've been trying to answer the question, how does this guy go from being so responsible or so so revered, well-loved, um, considered like the ultimate in credibility? I mean, you know, he's got, uh, he's got J. Edgar Hoover sending him condolence cards when he's like on his back because he had hemorrhoid surgery. You know, it's just like, you know, he's he was in the power structure and then next thing you know, he's like trying to like chase down Satan worshipers. And then it occurs to me as I dug into his FBI files and, you know, saw how the kind of stuff that he was a specialist in when he was in the Bureau was like wiretapping and tracking down like student movements and hippies and Black Panthers and all this stuff. So it's like the Cold War paranoia and the satanic panic paranoia are not really that much different. No, in fact, they are completely interconnected. I, by the way, I did not expect you to go down that road, but I have to, once you started, like the moment you said J. Edgar Hoover, I was like, I hope he says this. I hope he says this. I hope he says this. Because it's exactly the same thing. And, and one of the, the most batshit things that I found is what we're living through right now is something that we have seen so many times over. And it's this story. And, and in America, uh, and, and, you know, you could go back further because the Confederate States of America were based on conspiracy theories. Right. And that, that was all about the fear that, you know, people were going to come and like create like uprisings or whatever. But let's just go to the 20th century. Let's go after World War One, because the moment the Russian Revolution happens, America has its natural foil because America is a hyper capitalistic society. Right. So communism is, you know, public enemy number one. Well, after World War One, everybody knows about the Red Scare in the 1940s and 1950s. Well, the first Red Scare is in 1919. And once we're coming back from war, everyone's like, oh, man, the Russians are going to really work over African-Americans and make them rise up against us and kill us. So we should probably go out and kill them. And so all of a sudden you see a bunch of lynchings, you see a bunch of massacres. You see, like, you know, groups of white Americans 
thinking that they are defending themselves from like uprisings by manipulated people of color. And by the way, that's one of the biggest myths, right? Is that people of color are, they're good people. They're not so smart. They're not so talented. They're going to be manipulated by people on the outside, right? That's one of the main white supremacist conspiracy theories. Well, because Russia was there, it's like, well, and, and by the way, it's like in the New York Times, it's in the biggest newspapers. It's like these, these articles about the Reds are trying to stir people up. So all of a sudden, and this is another part of fascism, it's legitimizing preemptive violence. They are going to hurt us. We have to hurt them first. So instead of hurting citizens, right, or veterans of World War I, you're hurting terrorists. You're hurting people who will hurt you and hurt your family. So they went ahead, they hurt them first, they lynched them, they murdered them, they slaughtered them, massacred them. Well, it happens again in the 1940s, 1950s with the Red Scare. It's the exact same thing. They're coming for us. We have to do something about them. And it continues and continues and continues, except for after the fall of the Soviet Union, it then moved to the New World Order. And in the New World Order, it's just the protocols of the elders of Zion, just in a new pair of clothes. And then it becomes the deep, deep state. And then it becomes QAnon. It's the exact same story over and over and over again. And, and what you're talking about, the, the FBI going after all these student groups in the 1960s, 1970s, they thought they were communists. Yeah, yeah that they, was the whole justification is they're, they're talking to Moscow. Right. And, and by the way, it's if, if you've spent any time listening to like the Richard Nixon tapes, he thought everybody was in on a conspiracy. It was all of his enemies. Right. And him and Hoover are figuring out ways with COINTELPRO and, and all these other things that they get into. They get into it because they think that they're taking on a terrorist threat. And, and it just seemed like they were buttoned up. But when you start looking in those files of people like that, dude, you start realizing, oh, my God, these conspiracy theories and myths have been con continually per perpetrating over and over and over. And, you know, looking at the media, you know, this Ted Gunderson guy doing like Lexus searches for the media about him while he was news articles, press stuff while he was in the FBI and all the clippings that are included in his FBI file. And then looking at like the satanic panic, like news coverage at the time, the news media just repeats this stuff, whatever they're told without even critically thinking about it. Like, you know, uh, talking about like, you know, some guys get arrested because they're like, basically they were like driving around in a van with the chil the children of their themselves of this group that they were in that was like totally legit and legal and some of the kids were there their kids you know but they looked funny to somebody in Tallahassee, Tallahassee Florida so they called the police and like like right away you know the police is saying and the news is rep repeating uh you know we think they're involved with animal worship we think they're involved with selling kids stuff that is legitimately really crazy and you would think would raise the eyebrows of any journalist and and the journalism and the news media is just accepting this. Like it's the most natural thing in the world to be told that kids are part of like a, you know, a, a child, you know, trauma and abuse, hypnotizing, you know, CIA, whatever, you know, and it's just like totally credulous. Well, let me tell you, okay. I, I, this blew my mind because it's part of the new project that I, I, I've been working on. I went back to, um, went back to ancient Rome when Christianity was just sort of like a fringe cult. And by the way, back then you could just say a cult and it wasn't like big and you know, controversial, right? So when Christianity was like this uh, fringe cult and it was illegal to be a Christian and they worshiped underground, they went into the catacombs, they did it like in, you know, the dark and all this stuff. Do you know what they said about Christians? Do you know what the Romans said? They said that the Christians were abusing children, they were killing them, they were drinking their blood and using it for magical powers. This is back at the beginning of the modern age. Well, guess what? Immediately when the Christians gained power, do you know what they said about the pagans? Do you know what they said about the Jewish people? They said that they were abusing and sacrificing children and drinking their blood for magical powers. This idea of blood libel, which most people go ahead and take back to the medieval age, no, it goes back to the very beginning. It's the same thing. And that's the sad truth is, it, it, people are susceptible to it. These myths are, 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 are ingrained in us, and, and they just continue to work. 
Yeah, it sounds like it's just what people do when they want to attack an outgroup. It sounds like like human exactly. beings. Exactly, and and so you and that's the whole thing is like um, you know I I'm trying to think of who it was. Maybe it was uh, Sapiens. I don't know if you've read that book, but this it, it's basic. Uh, it's a look at uh, human history, and there's a lot of time that it spends talking about like chimpanzee brains and like primate brains and what they do and like how we have stories. Right. That's one of our main sort of like uh, evolutionary uh, uh, traits. And we have this ability that like we want to protect our group. We want to make sure that that group doesn't gain power or hurt us. So we start creating stories. And again, it's like it, if you think about it, the children thing, it's just about procreation and it's about making sure that you have more numbers and making sure that the most vulnerable of your group isn't susceptible to this violence but it's it's it it's so like ingrained and reptilian but when i tell people about this i've talked to a few people who are like deep in the QAnon thing and i started showing them my research and they were like oh i kind of need to look into this and it's like yeah you're right you're falling for the oldest scam in the book so once we have the an understanding of like why people are behaving like this and how people came to believe these things, what is there to be done? Well, okay, so first and foremost, I think even talking about it is like really important and very powerful. Right? Like like part of the problem and and, and I've really tried to wrap my head around this and this is what I've come around to. Part of the problem is in the past few decades that mythology that we're talking about, this fake story about America, this propagandized idea of what America is and what it's been. The problem is it's not, it hasn't been challenged. Like if you look at America, right? The Democratic Party and the Republican Party, their their speeches are pretty interchangeable. You know what I mean? Like they're, and 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 it's all about you know we went to the moon once and we 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 beat you know the the fascist and we won we we did D Day or whatever. Those stories are the same, and it just so happens that like there there's like a small cudgel of issues, a small cleavage of issues that separate them. You know what I mean? Like, and they're not even real issues. Like like I keep trying to say this. We're arguing about stuff we don't even really need to argue about. Like, do we need to argue about Black Lives Mattering? No, Black Lives do matter. We shouldn't even have to argue about that. You know what I mean? Like, like we're we're arguing about stuff that like it's it's absurd that it's still even an issue. Like, we're arguing about should these people be able to use this bathroom? Go to hell. Like, obviously, that's not what we... We should be arguing about where our taxes go. We should be arguing about what a successful healthcare system looks like. I feel like when we start realizing that the story is propagandized and that these myths are there to control us, when we start pushing back on this stuff that was conventional wisdom, and I don't know about you, but it's like times where I've questioned America in good faith. I've been called a traitor. I've been called a terrorist, right? And and that I, I'm, I'm shameful or that I should be driven from public life or whatever. Well, we have to start talking about the reality of it. And then when we get beyond that mythology, we might be able to have actual conversations again. But we can't operate in that alternate reality because that alternate reality is created for and maintained by fascists because that's where they get their power from is that mythology. It's where they control the conversation and they control society is through that story. Yeah. And, and you know, I I do not come from academia. I barely graduated from high school. But, um, you know, I've been in activist i've been in activist circles for you know the entirety of my adult life and um i just think how we communicate with other people is so important and i see this with academics and i see this with activists not all of them obviously but i see that's a tendency to talk over people or to not try to communicate at their level um i mean understanding what's like taking a step out of like the media bubble and trying to understand what really is going on. It's hard work. It's like something that I had to kind of, for whatever reason, decide to do as a young man and worked hard at my entire life. You know, I can see people like, you know, why shouldn't I be able to just, you know, read the paper in the morning and watch the news in the evening and be all up to speed. It's like, well, and and by the way, I think that what you're talking about is the way it sh- actually should be, 
right? But the but the problem is that it's been such a stew of disinformation and misinformation for so long that it's like it's one foundation built on another. We should be able to live in a society where you just drink your coffee and read the paper and you know what's going on. But what you're actually – and I actually, weirdly enough, I think Trump has made a few things clearer and clearer to people. Like like his whole assault on the media is really disgusting, calling them the enemy of the people. But we have started to actually think about what media does and how it does it. Like mainstream media is not just like the most like down-the-middle, unpartisan thing ever. No, like the history of media in this country is completely partisan. Like when – like the the fact that like the New York Times or the Washington Post or MSNBC or any number of these groups can give you news and that you know who they are and that they can like change the way you look at the world is because they have tons of money. And if you have tons of money, you have a vested interest to give news in a certain way. Right. So what you just said is exactly right. I wish that we lived in a society where we could just read up on it and live our lives. That's the way it should be. The unfortunate truth is we have generations upon generations worth of bullshit that we have to sort through. And this is important, and I'm glad you brought it up in this way. I come from, like, a piss-poor family, right? Like, I am an outlier. Like, I am a weird black sheep in the family who went to college and now works as a professor. This stuff, like, even though, like, I went, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into debt to get an education— I didn't learn this in my education. I learned concepts that have helped me to later on understand it, right? I had to do my own research at like the age of 38. I had to devote like a year of my life to like going through these these subjects and understanding them. A lot of people don't have the vocabulary yet or the frame of reference to do that. We have to start telling them, hey, I know this isn't your great idea for a Saturday afternoon. Maybe after you mow the yard, maybe you should read the original notes from the Constitutional Convention. Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you what James Madison said about you, and it wasn't great. Because I'll tell you what, when they got in that room, do you know what they thought about regular people? They thought you were pieces of shit who shouldn't be trusted to use the, the government. And they were like, well, we need to figure out a way to keep them from the gears of power. And we need to figure out ways to manipulate them. And when you start realizing that, that it's not like George Washington, you know, on the Delaware and, and, and all this stuff, you start realizing that that myth you've been taught was a religious myth. And when you start realizing that, like, this stuff is all about power and wealth and influence and control, then all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's right. Like, the fact that I don't have any money and that my life has been brutal isn't right. Like, I should be pissed off. And maybe I should be questioning these people. And maybe the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, maybe they're not the answers. And maybe we can start figuring out something real that exists beyond this bullshit mythology. You know, I'm, I'm just reminded of talking to you know every once in a while i talk to militia people out here in western pennsylvania and they're all like frustrated like historians and if you like talk to one for like 10 seconds they'll like launch into like this history lesson and go in deep about you know the confederacy and you know and you know all this thing that fdr signed and blah 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 and it's all demonstrably false so it's not like but but it's like the backbone it's the Lego blocks that they use to construct their worldview. And, you know, just through talking to you here, it occurs to me that, like, what the ma mainstream media has done is not all that different. Maybe, like, it degrees, but it's, you know, liberal propaganda. Yeah, I would I, I would make the argument that it, it is what I would call neoliberal democratic propaganda. Right? Like, like, like it's done... And that's the frustrating thing, right? Is it's like the, the the idea that the militia, like we 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 think about these people, they're extremists. You know what I mean? And and they've they've killed people. You know, and 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 they a lot of them are looking to unseat the government and create what you and I would probably consider a fascistic ethno state, right? I mean, that's what a lot of them are looking for. But real fast, just on that note, they're not always wrong. Like if you actually if you actually take a look at like things like continuity of government, I don't know how much you've looked into this, but during the Cold War, I mean, the, the powers that be in both parties created this thing called continuity of government, which created a shadow government. Yeah, there's literally like if you the Washington, if you had a list of like all the positions of power, there are other guys doing the exact same thing, you know, just 
You have no idea what their name is. You never voted for them. We have a president, a vice president, you know, all the way down the line. It's crazy. And on top of it, like in the instance of an emergency, like there's all this stuff that's on the books that's like, oh, and the Constitution is invalid at that point. And you're like, what? What do, what do, what do you mean it's invalid? And, and listen, I didn't vote for that. You know what I mean? Like, that's really weird and messed up. And think about how much money has been used for that stuff. And then something like, I don't know, a 9-11 happens or, I don't know, climate change takes place. And all of a sudden now it's like you wasted all of that money that you're not even going to use it for. You put the Constitution in danger. And then on top of it, like we didn't get health care, our infrastructure is crumbling apart, our educational system's on in trouble, and we have this artificial state of austerity. And so at that point, you're like, these people, like I understand where they're coming from because these people have done extra legal bullshit. But then you start looking at things like the news media, right? The people who put together this stuff, I think they truly believe that they're helping the world. I think they're like, you know what? I do think America is exceptional because we've done exceptional things. And, you know, there's been beautiful things. And, and by the way, what I'm talking about now is what I call cable news uh, uh, documentary material, which is like Ronald Reagan said the Berlin Wall should fall and then it fell. And like, it's like, no, that's not at all what happened. And it simplifies things and it really kind of ruins the record. And you reach a point, um, and this is weird and I didn't expect to talk about it. I don't know if you've studied postmodernism very much, but like eventually with postmodern theory, you reach a point with so many symbolic things that you can't tell the truth anymore. You, you you can't really understand where you are because there's been so many different misleading stories that you look around at some point and you're like, everything is meaningless. What do we do now? And that's where we are. Late stage America is a country that has been held hostage by its myths to the point where it doesn't understand what it is anymore. And to answer the problems, it literally has to roll back and dissect past ideas in order to move forward, we've gotten to the point of an overturn. We have to figure it out in order to have anything in the future. Yeah. You've referred to, when we spoke in the past and also in your book, you've referred to your upbringing as like being in a cult or being in a cult. Yeah, I grew up in a really weird situation. I, I refer to it as the cult of the Shining City. And, and it's, that, it's that confederate Christianity that I did not know. I thought it was just straight, real Christianity, the way the world worked. But, you know, it was like this Southern Baptist, Pentecostal, nationalistic idea. Like, you know, we read the Bible, but mostly the book of Revelation. You know, we read other books, but mostly New World Order bullshit, you know? And, and like, I was told constantly that the United States was fighting the devil and that the devil could appear and that, you know, people were being possessed left and right and child sacrifices and all this stuff. And the problem is that that cult, which by the way, was all about power, right? It was all about control and power and economic, you know, hypercapitalism. Um, that was woven in with my religion. And it was just like, my God, my family was so patriotic and they, they were so in total belief in God and Christ and America to the point where the founding fathers were minor deities. You know, Lincoln was a martyr. JFK was a martyr. And there were all of these secret plots that we were constantly fighting. And it, it's it's this mythological cultish idea. And it's what I grew up in. And I didn't know what it was until later on. And uh, that was in Indiana? Yeah, that was in southern Indiana. Southern Indiana. Yeah. And um, did you have a sense at the time, or do you have a sense now? Were you guys outliers? Were your family extra weird? Or were you very much in line with the community? No, that was very much a communal type of thing. I mean, you know, there were certain people, I assume, who didn't believe in that stuff. But, I mean, there was like, I came from a town that, like, a small, small town of a couple of thousand that had, like, the largest Fourth of July parade in the state. You know what I mean? And it was just... And, and, you know, we had like this big giant Independence Day thing. And, and, and it was this idea that you never, ever questioned America. There was nothing to question about America. And everything that happened within America was for the good of America and the good of Americans. And it just, it, it was a very cultish situation. My, my churches were, it was unbelievable, man. Like the, the type of, 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 you know, revelation uh, New World Order type of propaganda and uh, programming that went through. Like, it was so, so bizarre. Like, if you went to the wrong movie, you'd be likely to be possessed that night. You know what I mean? Like, it is just so extreme. 
has this kind of thing been, I know that that type of Christianity is part of the uh, kind of nationalist Christian takeover of American life. Um, do you, do you see this, you know, nationalist Christian Christian strain as an outgrowth of the religion? Or do you think that like people in power saw the religion and used it, you know, saw like this was some good clay to work with to take power or is there that a false, you know, kind of, I think it's, I think it's all over the place. I mean, like, so I, I wrote about an American rule, like this idea that we sort of existed in and, and a reminder, I, I grew up in Indiana, right? Like as Midwestern as it gets. Well, you know, right alongside the American flag, almost everywhere you went was the Confederate flag in Indiana, a Midwestern state, right? But when you actually look at history and this was stuff I didn't know, uh, Indiana was taken over by the Ku Klux Klan in the 20th century. Like, oh yeah, they absolutely controlled like, you know, the entire political organ of Indiana politics. And like, all of a sudden you start realizing that that Confederate ideology spread up to the Midwest during a time, and, and part of the reason that it happened is because uh, of things like Woodrow Wilson, who, by the way, is one of the biggest pieces of shit, like in American history. And you actually find out, and I didn't know this about Wilson, but, you know, Wilson grew up a Confederate apologist. Uh, he he was also a historian who was like one of the creators of the Lost Cause mythology, which was the idea that the Confederacy was actually wonderful and they treated their slaves wonderfully and and that it was, you know, it, it was bad, but it figured things out for America and everything was fine. His his books actually got turned into eventually Birth of a Nation, uh, which was, weirdly enough, the first movie screened at the White House. And so he did all of this in, in, for power, right? And so you see this thing in the early 20th century. And by the way, he did this in order to create, weirdly enough, a cult of power, a messiahship for himself going into World War I. When he went over to Europe, he was greeted by Europeans as like Christ himself. They called him a deity. They called him a messiah. They called him a savior. And, and it was because he, he really, really tapped into that Confederate ideology, but also that myth of American exceptionalism. So it starts spreading through America. You start seeing states that aren't even in the Confederacy start putting up like Confederate statues. You start seeing them start flying Confederate flags. So it starts getting seeded there, right? But what you end up finding out is after the switch between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And for those who might not be familiar, the Democratic Party was the party of white supremacy until the segregation debate and civil rights in the 1960s. Well, when that switches, the Republican Party realizes they can win a lot of elections if they start appealing to that latent white supremacy. So you start seeing, like, it's it's the religion and then it's the politics. And when they meet, they create that thing that we've been talking about, which is that interconnectedness. Yeah. Um, what a mess. <laughs> what a mess. No, that's exactly right. It's a massive mess. You know, and and we're stuck with it. You know, it's like all this, like, you know, behind-the-scenes playing around, dicking around. It's like now we're stuck with a failed state and we're stuck with, you know, the West is on fire. <laughs> Nobody has health care. We, you know, we have COVID. Um, what a mess. Like what, what comes after the state fails? Well, you know, I, I, I talk about this a lot because people often ask me, because I listen, what we're talking about is not, great <laughs> like you know i'll do i'll do like a radio interview for american rule and and like i think some of the people that i talk to are not prepared like you are to talk about it and they're like oh well moving on you know and they're like thanks for coming on i guess but people ask for hope and here's here's the thing i think that if we disabuse ourselves of this really, really toxic, poisonous mythology. 
we can suddenly realize that like not only do we have power but we can create like a real society like we can create like i i'm sorry but like yeah the the pandemic has been terrible life kind of sucked before the pandemic we were exploited uh we, we we've been treated poorly by the government by employers we if you get cancer god help you like maybe you might get a GoFundMe, you know that goes viral or, or if not you're just gonna your entire life's over I, I feel like the fact that this thing is wearing thin, and I think Donald Trump has done us um, a favor because he is very transparent. Like, he's obviously incompetent. He's a total, utter moron and boob. So eventually you're like, oh, man, something's off here. Like, I, something's flickering, right? I feel like I feel like there's one of two things that are going, well, maybe three, because there's always the middle that's a combination of the two. I think we're on the precipice of either fascism reinforcing the myth through violence, which is what fascists do. They they say you either fall in line with our version of reality or you're met with violence and murder, intimidation, and, and you know, you can be removed. Or we can swing the pendulum of power, remember that we have power, remember that the government is supposed to serve us through the social contract, and that we start relying on one another through grassroots and communal efforts, and we turn the ship around. And we stop worrying about hegemony and maybe we step back from the empire business and maybe we start working on, I don't know, basic human decency and, and you know, the bettering of lives. I mean, those are possibilities. We could do that. But the first thing we have to do is we have to pretty much dismantle the bomb of fascism in this nationalist mythology. Well, I think we're two for two ending on a somewhat optimistic note, which I never thought would be possible. So... <laughs> Thank you for that. I'll take it, man. I'll take it. I'll take it. What y'all gonna do? Uncle Jam Thomas in Public Enemy Cypress Hill. Let's do this. Oh, shit. No more grid. We all addicted. Men, women, and kids. No internet, no text, and no tweets. We look like the 80s with scenes in the streets. Surprised we didn't get into the Trump COVID diagnosis. We all woke up to it, and it's on everybody's minds, but sometimes these things go where they go. Uh, make sure you check out Jared's uh, podcast, the Muckrake podcast, uh, that he does with Nick Hasselman. Hasselman? Nick something. Uh, yeah, and uh, for links to everything, uh, check out the show notes, and thanks for listening. Emotional effects may be deadly Masses to run steady The depression hits like a Tyson blow Isolation on another level Who's responsible? I don't know I got a theory If you hear me But you wanna fear me Dumb us down Then divide us up I see it clearly Pit one against the other Even though we're brothers Make us hate each other While they keep their asses covered What you gonna do When the grid goes down? What you gonna do When the grid goes down? What you gonna do When the grid goes down? Know what I mean? It's a system I'm talking. Nobody's agreeing. They say it's suicide when dead bodies are swinging. Cowards are hunting black men. That's what I'm seeing. How many toasters have been burnt down? And once Central Park was a thriving black town. Yo, Chuck, I'm fighting the power right now. Thanks to you, Flavor P.E. Putting it down, putting your life on the line so I can rap now. The next generation still singing "Fight the Power."
Okay, talk to me about the future of Public Enemy. 